We get up in the morning, we open the email, we open the news, and I immediately think of how it affects my business. And we spend a good portion of our time managing the problem of the day, thinking deeply about what our future might be, what might be the structures that we'll need in the future, the things that will be the difference as we come through this. Businesses large and small are in a fight for survival as the coronavirus pandemic brings economic activity to a near complete standstill. What can the thousands of small businesses do to survive weeks, if not months, of lost revenues while fixed costs continue to mount? And when the immediate crisis ends, what can they do to thrive in whatever the new normal might be for commerce? Greg Fairchild is a professor at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business and academic director of the Institute for Business and Society with a focus on public policy and entrepreneurship. I'm Sean Carr. Welcome to Darden Ideas to Action. Hi, Greg. Thanks for joining us remotely so we can keep the podcast socially distant. Sean, it is wonderful to connect to you over the airwaves. Many of today's small businesses had survived the global financial crisis in 2008, 09, and beyond. When this all passes, things will certainly be different. But are there any things that small businesses, small business owners, even entrepreneurs can do now to prepare to survive? If you're a business that happened to rely on people coming by every day, Right now, you have to find ways to reconnect with those individuals and perhaps say to them, you know, we can still get you products. We can still provide you services, even though the way we interacted before was face-to-face. I'm finding that there are businesses that are recognizing that niceties, that just reaching out and saying, hello, how are you, to clients, partners, customers, is another way of keeping that continuity. Now's the time to use the technology that we have to find some way to continue that continuity, to reach out and say, hey, we're here, and these are some of the things we can still do for you, or just to say, hey, I'm checking in on you. And and this could be a customer. This could be a partner. You've talked about early signals of change as small businesses relate to their customers, but what about other key stakeholders What are the outlines of change that we may be seeing now that could persist going forward? Let's say that I were a mixed-use retail developer. Well, I'm realizing right now that my renters, be they people that live in apartments or whether they are businesses, right now on either side of that equation, there might be a need for some rent relief. And the models that I was using just a couple of months ago of the anticipated cash flows probably are going to look a little different. But here's the rub. If I were to find a way to extend and expand away for my tenants, be they commercial or people that are families, to stay in those properties then as things begin to turn, 
I'd find that those returns would continue and come back to me. That would be a far more preferable situation than having to go out and find new people that would rent either residential or commercial properties. What does competition look like in this newly strained environment? Competition is not necessarily a bad thing. We know that it breeds the tendency for firms to innovate and to offer better value. We can imagine many companies that currently compete that have replication in their staffing, in their capabilities, in their infrastructure, in their technology. A lot of that stuff is scalable, such that multiple parties could use the same technology platform, the same way to service customers. You could imagine in a retail mall that there are a number of different restaurants. They all probably have relatively similar kitchens, and they probably all have relatively similar cash register systems and POS systems, and they probably all have relatively similar staffs that go and stock the back office or the back area of their facilities. This could be a moment when malls are closed or when people don't go in, but one company could be the storefront, so to speak, on a pickup type option. Another company could be the one managing orders electronically. Another company could be the ones that are helping to stock the pantries of all these various restaurants. And what appear to be different organizations to the customer are actually an octopus of organizations behind the scenes. It's going to sound trite, but it's the old Confucian notion that from crisis comes opportunity. And I know it's really hard for us to think that way right now. Let's take a look at the larger picture, the larger picture being the role of the government, in particular the federal government right now, which has come forward with an historic amount of support. What are you seeing and how do you think this could be helpful? I would say for folks that are small business owners, the SBA has a wonderful site. It's at sba.gov and it provides the COVID-19 relief opportunities for small businesses. And these certainly include liquidity, loans going out, but it also includes ways that businesses can find other types of support, like information, advice. This would seem to me to be a time when companies should be thinking about really good accounting advice. If we have the accountant down the street who happens to be our friend, and many small business owners do, that person, as lovable as they may be, may not be best served in helping ensure that you as a business are finding the best ways to pay the proper amount of taxes. I think it's an important thing to remember that also the way we do and don't pay our taxes influences our ability to get loans. These two things are very late. Good accounting could make a big difference right now and could make a big difference on the back end. So I'd like to talk about resilience, business resilience. 
What does it mean to be a resilient small business? And are there things business owners can think about now? You know, in our day-to-day work in business, we tend to pursue the problem of the day. We get up in the morning, we open the email, we open the news, the news says the following, and I immediately think of how it affects my business. And we spend a good portion of our time managing the problem of the day and thinking deeply about what our future might be, thinking deeply about what might be the structures that we'll need in the future become, frankly, the things that will be the difference as we come through this and even if we hadn't. And so even with a distance, this is probably a good time to do scenario planning with people on your team. These could be scenarios about length of time, ways that the market could change. It's a good time to channel some of that energy in those ways. Similar to accounting is inventory management. We've always known that there's found money in managing accounts receivable, in managing accounts payable in a more serious way. Now, notwithstanding the idea that a lot of people can't pay right now, having a firm hand on how dollars are flowing in and out of your company and then building a better system to manage accounts receivable and accounts payable in the future is probably a good idea. I could see a future scenario where we wind up having better businesses because of what they're and we're all experiencing right now. Let's say that I were an auto repair business and I was using this time to really examine over the last six months, what have been both the frequency of types of repairs that we've had to do and what have been the returns we get to those type of repairs. A lot of businesses tend to have an 80-20 situation going on, and not everyone knows that. And so what we tend to do is, with a growth mindset, is we tend to add services to our line of operations while not really considering either A, whether we're really good at providing those services or B, whether those services are as valuable economically to our firm as the core service. And so I think one of the things I would be encouraging is even if people don't have so-called data scientists in their staff, that they might find ways to collect all the receipts and invoices from the last six months, compile, and then begin to perform an analysis. And I suspect a lot of businesses are going to learn they have an 80-20 situation in a lot of ways, and that there are certain things they could probably stop doing, which would actually make their business stronger. In this changed world, which is rapidly changing with the intervention of the federal government and state and local government as well, what resources are you seeing are out there? A lot of the resources that are trumpeted in the news are the ones that are part of the new stimulus. But I'm just going to encourage listeners to realize that there may be what I'm also going to call found money again that exists in state, local, and government resources that were kind of already there. 
First of all, there are business development centers located in every community, and you have one near you. If you haven't ever thought of visiting it, it's probably a good time to do that. Secondly, you may happen to be in an area that is already recognized as needing some sort of support. So you might happen to live in what is a hub zone. You might happen to live in an area that happens to have various types of what are called new market tax credit supports. You might happen to be in a place that um, has all sorts of other innovative opportunities for investment that were already there. There's no better time than now to begin looking around for whether you or your business might be an acceptable applicant. We know that pandemics do eventually end. We may not know exactly when, but they do. And eventually, the economic spigot will be turned back on. What kind of investment should small businesses make now in advance of that? So I love your analogy. And if we follow your analogy, when the water comes back on, you got to make sure you can catch it. And so the ways I think about that are right now, many companies have furloughed their employees. Well, when movement really begins in full, they probably are going to very quickly need to bring them back on. They're going to really quickly need to reconnect with their employees and again, make them feel comfortable about returning to work. And they're going to really quickly need to also be moving up the scale on the types of services they offer and the quality in which they offer them. And so that combination is pretty complex. My advice is don't be overwhelmed by the complexity. A simple model of thinking about what are the changes one might have wanted to make even without a pandemic to the employee process and engagement? What are the changes that the company could and should make in who their customers are, who their customers aren't, and what they provide them? And then thirdly, what are the changes they'd like to make in a better established relationship with the right suppliers and a better relationship with each of those suppliers. Don't be overwhelmed by the complexity. That's probably good advice for all of us. Greg, thank you so much for spending time with us today. This has been really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Greg Fairchild is a professor at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, where he teaches strategic management, entrepreneurship, and ethics. Join us next time for more research, analysis, and commentary from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. You can subscribe to Ideas to Action on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download or stream. To read more expert insights on this topic and more, visit ideas.darden.virginia.edu. Thank you.